just said. But before we turn there and read that text, I need to tell you what happened on Wednesday uh, to prepare for this morning, and I need to share a couple other scriptures with you. So many of you know that every Wednesday uh, we have an open time of prayer in this room right here, and we're just at the point where we're about to outgrow it, which will be wonderful. But, but it, we call it noon prayer, and we gather to seek God's face together, and we ask him to guide us in praying for the church and for the neighborhood and for what God would do through the church. And so we begin by asking the Lord to speak, and then we stop and we listen. And this past Wednesday, as we listened, Jan Glass heard Galatians 2.20. She heard that scripture, the Lord bubbled it up. And then Andrew heard Colossians 3, 1-3. So I want to read those to you and then tell you what the Lord began to say to us through them. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. You hear that? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Colossians 3, one and 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so as we began to pray and to say, Lord, uh, what are you saying to us through these verses and how would you have us pray? We spent an hour asking and praying. One of the things that came out near the end of our time of prayer was this. Don't limit me to what I can do through you. Don't limit me to what I can do through you. I'm in you. You're in me. It's my life being lived out through you, not your life. I've died. My life belongs to Christ and risen. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. My life is not my own, it's Jesus. Jesus is in me. And Jesus was saying to us, don't limit me to what I can do through you. I think we would all say amen to that. Lord, we would, we would. You know, and um, I hear us often praying, Lord, I need more of your love. I want to be more gracious. I want to be more patient. Lord, and I hear us asking the Lord regularly for the fruit of his spirit at work in and through us. But what do we do when we now arrive at this passage and we see this part of Jesus' life and ministry being played out? Let's read Luke thirteen, ten to 17. On a Sabbath, that's a Sunday or a day of rest, 
Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, means a woman of faith, whom Satan has kept bound or tied for 18 long years, be set free or unbound or untied on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Word of God. Before I begin to preach on this text, we're going to watch a video put on by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and it's a video of one of their staff workers at an Urbana convention uh, acting out this very scripture. And so, um, would you hit the lights, Ray, uh, as we cue this up? Thank you. It's silent for the first 15 or 20 seconds. Thank you. 
try to talk to me. Uh-uh. And then one afternoon, she talks to me to do like errands with her, and we end up at church, punked by my own mom. <laughs> see, church was the worst. I see them pointing and staring, thinking I didn't notice. Like I'm not just bent. I'm stupid and out of touch too. And all this stuff about God's love, just get it off of me. Get this off my back and let me dance. I can never get the beat out of my head. I want to dance. We sit near the back and the preacher's different. Visiting or something, teaching about the Sabbath, whatever. And he's saying, look. The Sabbath is not for making yourselves look good. The people of God are not gathered for a private party. No. You are here for the people who are not in the room. This is the will of God to welcome the lost, to straighten what is bent, cut loose what is bound. watched that video a number of times and it brings me to tears every time. I think one of the reasons that it brings me to tears is because 
It humanizes. It brings alive this woman in the text that she's a real woman, not just some lady that we get a sentence description over, but she's a real woman with a real life. And was she a young girl that never got to marry because this happened to her before she was of marrying age and nobody would have her? Or was she a woman already married with children, then unable to care for them? And what did her husband do and how might he have reacted? And the shame and the grief and the weight that would have been on her Huh? It humanizes her. It brings her to life. Jesus says, and Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free, to bring release to those who are in dark prisons, dark places, to bring comfort to those who mourn, to take away despair and replace it with praise. And that's what I see him doing in this text. Can you imagine the despair and the darkness that she lived with? And can you see in one false swoop how Jesus comes and he lifts off He lifts off of her that whole blanket of despair and he replaces it, praise, with joy. And so here's the question. May Jesus do that through us. May Jesus live that part of his life through us. Luke, who wrote this gospel, begins the book of Acts with the words, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach before he ascended to heaven. And ascended, he poured out his spirit on his church, and the church kept on ministering the light and the life and the hope and the healing of Jesus. Church, may Jesus minister like that through us because we live in a world of 7.4 billion people a world that is deeply bent hurting and many of those hurts are indeed physical and a vast vast majority of them are inner hurts anguish and pain of soul a bentness that we sometimes can see from the outside because it's written on faces and in body posture and demonstrated by lifestyle choices, but a bentness that many other times we cannot see because it's hidden or masked. But the world is bent under the weight of sin and sorrow and oppression. And Jesus, the light of the world, says, Don't limit me to what I can do through you. And so, as we ask ourselves this question to start, can can Jesus minister like that through me? What? Let's just pay attention to what bubbles up in our hearts. 
oh, but I, I don't know, I've not seen that before. I've not experienced that. Neither had they. Well, it makes me kind of afraid, anxious to think about, yep, good, let's pay attention to that. That fear doesn't come from the Lord. His perfect love, Scripture says, drives out fear so we can bring that into his presence. So let's just pay attention. Those things aren't of the Lord. If Jesus is going to touch us, and the people that we love, if Jesus is going to, the scripture says manifest, that just means show forth his love, the healing power of his love to touch bodies and hearts and souls and bring new life, it's going to require that we say, Jesus, I trust you. Use me to do your work Teach me about your work. Grow me in faith, Jesus, so that I don't limit you to what you can do through me. Jesus, don't let me limit you by my current worldview and experience. Jesus, teach me. And so Jesus is going to teach us this morning as we open up this passage and we're just going to watch Jesus and we're going to look at how he ministers and we're going to notice six things in particular. And the first thing that we're going to notice about Jesus is that he moves from teaching to practice. He moves moves from speaking to acting. He moves from describing to demonstrating. He moves from inviting to implementing. You getting the picture? Yeah? He talks about the kingdom of God. He's teaching on the Sabbath, likely about its role in the kingdom of God. Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. It's here on earth, in me, there is forgiveness of sins, there is new life, there is healing, God is good, he loves you, he's teaching on the kingdom. In the kingdom, there is light, there is life, there is hope, darkness is pushed out, forgiveness is offered, new starts, he teaches He knows the Father, and he brings the Father's life and love to bear through his words. But he doesn't stop there. He moves to demonstrating those words through actions. And so he notices the ones who need a touch or a demonstration or a deliverance or a welcome, an invitation, and he shifts from just this comfortable place because i got to tell you, church, it's a lot more comfortable to just stand here and talk into ministry. And so that just begs the question. I know not everyone here knows Jesus yet, but for those of us who do know him and believe in him, does Jesus work this way through us? Does he move through us to talk about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God into demonstrating that love and ministering, ministering that love. In our interactions with not just believers, but with unbelievers outside of this place, are we equipped by his spirit to speak of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ? Just answer that to yourself silently. Am I speaking of Jesus, and then am, am I being moved by His Spirit to demonstrate 
Because that takes a step of faith, doesn't it? So that's the first thing we notice. Jesus teaches and acts. The second thing we notice is that Jesus is moved by love and compassion. That's what motivates him. There's one little word here that catches my attention. Jesus saw her. He saw. He noticed. And he did not turn away. He did not ignore. He did not he did not shift away from that thing that would make so many of us feel awkward. We'd all have the question, I I wonder what happened to her. We'd have pity. We'd feel uncomfortable. Jesus sees and he goes to. He is moved, filled with love and compassion. And so the question that that begs of us is, do we have Jesus' eyes, first of all, to see the hurting, the bent in our lives? And second, is Jesus' love and compassion able to move us beyond uncomfortability into engagement? Love and compassion moving us into engagement with them. Third thing that we notice is that Jesus is guided by the Holy Spirit. Luke says that this woman's affliction is caused by a demonic spirit, but that that evil or unclean spirit isn't the, isn't the only invisible actor in this story. Because the way that Jesus knows that, that the root of this sickness is an evil spirit is because he's being guided by the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, Scripture makes clear that not all sickness results from the work of evil or unclean spirits. We don't go pronouncing that everybody who's got an illness has got an evil spirit, do we? So how do we know? Well, God guides. He speaks. Jesus said, The Holy Spirit, whom I will send you, John 16, will teach you. He'll counsel. He'll reveal. So, There's something happening inside this text where Jesus is listening. He's receiving knowledge from the Father. Now, what do we need to notice about this that's really relevant to us? Flip over to Acts 10, 37 and 38 for a quick second. Acts 10, 37 and 38. Luke, who wrote this story that we're reading this morning, records Peter as saying in in Acts 10, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. That was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now notice this. He doesn't say how God, how how Jesus of Nazareth went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because he was God. He didn't say that. He is God. He is God and man, fully God and fully man, but Luke does not say, or Peter does not say, Jesus healed because he was God. He says, 
He healed because God was with him. Because the Holy Spirit anointed him with power to heal. This is why three chapters ago in Luke 10, Jesus can say to his disciples, here's authority, here's power, go heal the sick, preach the gospel, drive out demons in my name. He has kingdom power authority from God the Father. He shares it with his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus? We share in that. And so we don't look at Jesus and go, wow, I wish I could do that. But he can do it because he's God. We go, no, the same spirit that was at work in and upon you is at work in and upon me. And so the focus isn't on me, is it? It's not on me, it's on you. All you need is my faith. All you need is my faith. Jesus is guided by the Holy Spirit. Are you and I guided by the Holy Spirit? Fourth thing that we need to notice about Jesus' healing. Jesus has a worldview that accounts for the possibility of the demonic as a source of physical illness. And not just physical, but also emotional Do we? Do we have a worldview that accounts for the possibility of evil or unclean spirits being at the root of physical or other forms of oppression? Because if we don't, then we will not consult God for wisdom when wondering how to pray for ourselves or for somebody else. If we don't, we'll go straight to the quote-unquote medical, psychological professionals. Now, we bless God for all of the wisdom that he's imparted in each of those fields, and we fully welcome a multidisciplinary approach to ministry, don't we? But, anybody here know anybody else who's been through months, maybe years. Okay, it's back on. I'll switch it off with Pastor Gina if it goes out again. Anybody know anybody in your life that's had months, maybe years of treatment with very little healing, very little progress? Yeah, yeah. You only went through 40 years of that, huh? Right, and I've heard you say it many times. It wasn't until Jesus... Worldview. We might need some education. We might need to learn a little bit more about the unseen and the way in which Satan very much does in one way or another through human sin and brokenness gain ground to oppress and Jesus sets free. And so if we're to work with Jesus, and Jesus is to work through us, and we're to not limit Jesus' work through us, we need the same worldview as Jesus does, Jesus has. Fifth thing that we notice about Jesus as he heals. Jesus exercises faith. Doesn't that sound strange for God? Huh? Jesus exercises faith. He says to this woman, woman, 
your sickness or your infirmity is healed before it's happened. Then he places his hands on her. And when he places his hands on her, spirit leaves, she straightens up, she's healed. But Jesus makes this declaration. What he's doing there is he's putting himself out on a limb. He's entrusting himself to God the Father's good willingness or ability to act on his faith. He's making a faith statement and power from God through the Spirit has to be at work to bring healing. Are we willing to place ourselves in situations where we are speaking things in faith? John Ortberg says, if you want to walk on water, you need to get out of the boat. Getting out of the boat means stepping onto something that doesn't look like it's going to hold you. We just don't know. Are we willing to place ourselves or are we, are we inhibited from saying things, praying things for people because we're afraid? I'm afraid uh, that, that nothing will happen and this person will be disappointed. I'm afraid that I won't have the right words. I'm afraid that, I'm afraid that, I'm afraid that, I'm not sure if, and when we're guided by fear or doubt or not sure ifs, we don't pray. And we limit Jesus to what he can do through us. I'm telling you all of this from personal experience because I've been on a journey myself through the last six years for not praying for anybody to be healed and not seeing anybody healed to praying for many people to be healed and seeing a good number of them healed through Jesus, not me. So I'm just learning to, to stop inhibiting him He doesn't heal everybody that I pray for. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that as I grow in faith, I am providing the opportunity. I'm not limiting him to what he can do through me. Okay? Jesus exercises faith. Will we exercise faith? Now listen to this. Faith is not natural. It's supernatural. We don't do it on our own. So we need the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling like, I I don't have it. I don't got it. I can't. Right. That's the point. When we reach the end of ourselves, God can step in and do great things if we're willing to step out. But you've got, we've got to be willing to step out. And there is freedom to step out because, remember what we always say about this space? It's grace space. Everybody who gets prayed for, if you pray for them, motivated by love, will be blessed by God, no matter whether He heals or not, what He does or not. If you love somebody, they're going to be blessed. And so if your goal is to manifest or to make present the love of Jesus Christ, someone's going to get blessed. got to have the faith to step out and say, you can do this through me, Jesus. Sixth thing that we notice about Jesus is that when Jesus ministers the love of God in power, To bring healing, he faces resistance. And interestingly enough, that resistance does not come from the evil spirit. 
In other occasions, we see the disciples trying to cast out evil spirits, and they can't. They're facing resistance, and they say, what's wrong? And Jesus says, well, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. It requires a, a, a level of strengthening of your inner being and your connectedness to God for his power to be at work in and through you. Not here. It's not the Spirit giving resistance. It's the religious leaders and the evil that's at work in and through them. Here are men who claim to represent God, ought to know Him, and don't at all. And so they're actually twisting the very words of God to prevent somebody from receiving Jesus' healing. When Jesus is at work, moving in power to heal, He's advancing His kingdom on earth. Who's the prince of this world? Satan. Scripture says he's the prince of this world. The ruler of this present darkness. Defeated by Jesus at the cross and resurrection, but not giving up his ground very easily. Anytime Jesus is advancing his kingdom, his love, his gospel, bringing healing, light is hitting darkness and the darkness will push back. When Jesus is working through you, you can expect resistance. And that resistance may come through, in this, like in this text, people who don't know the Lord and are therefore still under the control, even, even if um, they claim to, like the folks in this text. It may come from those who don't know the Lord, but I, I think we need to be careful here and very, very Cautious and discerning. Because a quick look at our own hearts will tell us that it may also come from fervent believers. One little look at Peter, who surely followed Jesus, demonstrates that footholds in our heart can be given through which Satan can speak. Remember when Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, no way, no, you're not going. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Well, what gave ground for Satan to be able to speak through Peter like that? Peter was believing something that wasn't true, deceived in his mind. Maybe he thought Jesus was going to be a certain kind of Messiah. We can give ground to the enemy, so that he can work through us to resist Jesus' good work. So, a real practical example of how this might happen. Um, I, I love order. I'm a type A personality who likes things structured. I like to know ahead of time um, order of events, and so I love an order of worship. Love knowing ahead of time. We plan what songs we're going to sing, and what's going to happen after, after what next. And I think many of you like order too. But here's the thing. Order can be turned into an idol if it's what gives us comfort. And how do you know if order is what gives you comfort instead of Jesus giving you comfort? Is if when the order changes, you start to get uncomfortable. You start to to feel like, well, we're going off script. I don't know what's happening. 
Look, when you're following God, He sets the script. Israel, going through the desert, they got a path that went like this. Right? And they're constantly bucking against Him. But He set the good path. And so when we follow God corporately and when we follow God individually, He's the good shepherd who guides. He sets the path. And so... When we come together here, yeah, we've got an order, but we need to ask ourselves, may Jesus meet with us and minister to us and through us on the Sabbath like he did in this text? May Jesus move from teaching and speaking to acting and demonstrating in this place? Is Jesus free to do that? Because Jesus wants to keep speaking good news to us. And Jesus knows the places in our hearts, in our lives, where we need to hear good news afresh. And Jesus wants to bind up broken hearts. And he knows the places in us that are hurting. And Jesus wants to bring comfort as we mourn. And Jesus wants to lift off those things that weigh down and are heavy and are causing fear. And Jesus wants to bring freedom to those who are feeling captive or bound. And Jesus, and Jesus, and Jesus. And so that's why we have begun having prayer ministry after the service, so that we can go with each other to Jesus. It's not you pray for me alone. It's come with me to Jesus. Help me in this process or place of bringing my concern, my hurt, my fear, my worry, my pain, my... to Jesus. So we've started. But there's so much more. There's so much more. And so we end where we began. May Jesus live his life through us. May may he have our complete permission to bring healing, to work miracles, to increase faith. Because the scripture that Pastor Gina opened with this morning is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Jesus is in you and in me. And Jesus longs to bring his healing to bear, not just in this place, but in our workplaces and in our families and on these streets. and in this whole world. And so I'm going to end by bringing us into prayer. And then we're going to wait upon the Lord for how he wants to work and move next, even before we sing a song of response. Lord, we confess that our faith is too small. We confess that we make things too complicated 
we confess that we need You. Like the song that we sang last week says, Lord, we need You. And Lord, we thank You that You are willing to impart more and more of Yourself and Your life to us and through us. And so Jesus, we say to You afresh this day that we have died with You, we have risen with You, that our life is Yours, and that You may Live your life through us. You may shine forth your grace, your goodness, your healing power through us. Lord, when you move on our hearts, we will speak to people. Lord, when you move on our hearts, we will pray for people. Lord, we will learn how to cooperate with you And we will allow you to use us to the fullest extent that you desire. Now, Lord, hear our prayers as we silently pray the same to you. Lord Jesus, we remember that you said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So Lord, even as we really confess to you um, a weariness, a weariness um, of working in our own strength at times, And um, I think a weariness that comes from, even from inhibiting you to work through us. And as we confess that that has real implications, real consequences, Lord, it really does limit you. We also thank you, Lord, that as we confess that and as we come to you, that you don't lay on us heaviness, that you extend to us the same grace that you called Peter to extend when he said, Lord, how many times do I forgive? Seven. And you said, 70 times seven. And you showed us that grace is unlimited. And so, Lord, I thank you that there's, this isn't um, heavy. It doesn't have to be heavy. You don't come to lay heavy burden on us. You come to give joy. You come to give life. And and so, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you that that you want to increase faith. Thank you that you want to partner with us and work through us. Thank you that you you, um, give us a fresh chance to say, Lord, work through me. Lord, we, we, more than anything else in this world, we desire for you to work through us. Fill us. So Lord, we come to you now. We're going to sing this song as a cry of our hearts, Jesus. We're going to sing more love, more power, more of you in my life. And Lord, let it be um, not just a cry from the depths of our hearts, but let it be the very thing that you do in us and through us. For your glory, Lord, 
that people all around will respond like the people in this text. Delighted, praising you. Look what God is doing. It's amazing. He brought Trish back from the dead. Praise the Lord. Lord, let there be more. Let there be more through our faith as we pray, as we go to the hospitals, as we pray for friends, as we reach out. Let there be more. Let it be so through us, Lord, that people would be delighted and praise you. So we pray, Lord, more of your love and more of your power at work in and through us.